It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, lads and lasses, and welcome to episode 65 of the Roga Report podcast. I am your host, James Copley, and this week we are joined, as ever, by Connor Bromley. Hello. I don't think I'm the main event this week, like no. normal. Although Chris Cam <laughs> has put in the notes our producer, uh, Miss Blythe 2009. Miss Blythe? Miss Blythe, yeah. What do you mean? Was that Miss Blythe 2009? It must have been. That's what's, what's going on. Oh. <laughs> We're also joined by the Northeast football correspondent for the Times, George Colgan. Welcome. Hello, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Only one week late. <laughs> Only one week late. And we're also joined by the Northeast football correspondent for Sky Sports, Keith Downing. Hello. Thank you for having me. Only two weeks late. <laughs> <laughs> Champion. Um, right, as usual this week, we'll go on to the three word review. This is just kind of three word review of uh, the match. Oh, this will be yeah, it's uplifting. The, yeah. <laughs> Can't blame Coleman. Um, fucking gutless cunts. <laughs> Plan for future. Kyle Tate says, topped myself again. John Ridley said, Rod- <laughs> Rodwell was diving. Paul Noble got in the airport. Reese Benson, the embarrassment increases. Tom Atkinson, just absolutely pathetic. Alex McCain, Clark Salter, shite. Now Bromley, bunch of frauds. As ever with these, it's kind of the, the same theme, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Never had a happy three-word review. No, I can't remember the last time we did a podcast and we won. It's been 10 games. 10 games. 10 weeks we've been doing this without a win. <laughs> and we'll, and we'll write and do Roker Report TV as well. Yeah. Terrible, terrible. Right, we'll, we'll fly into it. George, we'll go to you first. All right. For those listeners who might not be familiar, could you tell them a little about what you do and your past experiences with Sunderland? Well, I sort of do those three-word reviews, except in 900 words. <laughs> um, I mean, possibly without the swear words, or they would be mm. asterisked, asterisks out. Um, well, I mainly write about North East football for the Times, but get around doing other things too, um, and I've done that for, for 20 years. Um I'm from Durham, so this is my part of the world. Um, unfortunately, I've not seen as much of Sunderland this season as I would, as I normally would, or as I would like to. Um, having said that, having heard those three-word reviews, perhaps, perhaps as a benefit to it, but <laughs> uh, we don't cover we don't cover Championship football as much as Premier League, sadly. So I've been sort of off off elsewhere uh, certainly for most most Saturdays but I've been following it from afar and obviously reading a lot about it and, and listening to stuff about the club's flight, uh, plight and it's it's incredibly distressing mm. and what would you what would you pinpoint as kind of the catalysts in, in Sunderland's downfall Ooh, uh, well that's a very good question I think you could probably make yourself dizzy looking for turning points in Sunderland's, <laughs> Sunderland's kind of recent history but I mean you know it all comes back down to it all comes down to Ellis Short he's the he's the you know he's the one um, 
what's the phrase I'm looking for? He's the one constant. Constant. Mainstay, yes, yeah. he's the one constant um, at the club, and it's been you know it's been a series of horrific decisions. They've been like you know drunken gamblers chasing bad bad bets. They've you know taken horrific decisions and then followed them up with more horrific decisions. They've put people in control of the club or in positions of authority at the club that should be nowhere near it. Who are who are sort of not qualified to do the jobs they do. And it's been catastrophic. There's been a sort of institutionalised arrogance at the top of the club. I think there's been this theory or this feeling that when they survived in the Premier League, and I was saying, saying to you just before, I hated that that notion of them staying up was somehow a miracle, you know, mm. because that isn't a miracle. What is a miracle is what Leicester did in winning the title, or it's what Clough's Forest did, or it's what Bobby Robson's Ipswich Town. That's a miracle. Mm. Not giving yourself the right to be shit the next season. That is not a miracle. And it's a, Sunderland should be better than that. But I think that it was almost as if those three or four games that Sunderland needed to win to get them over the line, as if that somehow defined them, as opposed to the 30-odd mm. games in which they were terrible mm. beforehand. And they've been bad for a long time. And I certainly didn't expect them to be this bad this season. I mean, I'd be lying if I, if I said that. But that... You know, losing is absolutely ingrained in in the club, and you know, short short got away with it for too long, and I think that's partly because Blaine was a shifting target. He changed managers so often, he changed sporting directors and directors of football. Players came and went, and because because of that change, he sort of got away with, you know, not being at fault or not being the only thing at fault. But he's now. You know, he's now given up and fucked off, and um, <laughs> absolutely all the owners. Yeah, and is and is clearly not. You know, is clearly not bothered, um, and it's very, very, it's very, very sad. Mm. But he's been a, he's been an absolutely ca- catastrophic owner. Keith, same question to you. Really, what do you agree with George's statement? Where do you pinpoint the kind of the blame for for some? Yeah, players? I mean, I don't think I don't think there is one person to, but well, not one person. I don't think there's one thing or one element that you, that you can blame. I mean, I've been here for what four and a half years now. I I started um, my first day in the job was the day before Paolo Di Canio got sacked, <laughs> and it just seems to have been sort of obviously aside from the these. Um, end of the season heroics aside for that it just seems to have been one disaster after another that's, that's led you to this place and I think George touched on it and I couldn't have agreed anymore I think sort of the, the recruitment and I don't just mean in terms of player purchases and I'm talking about behind the scenes as well and putting people in positions that were then in that position to make these catastrophic errors has led Sunderland to, to where they are now and obviously the club are trying to claw that back but that's difficult when there's no money to spend behind the scenes or, or on players um, I, I don't think you can say I honestly don't think you can say it's one thing I, I've seen um, similar things myself in previous jobs in Scotland with Rangers where a lot of mistakes were made and it's amazing how many sort of parallels you, you notice along the way and I'm kind of like oh I've been here before I've, I've seen this before and mm. it's, it is quite similar the, the difference with Rangers to Sunderland obviously Rangers went into administration and liquidation but the difference they had when they were relegated or demoted to the bottom tier they still had 52,000 coming along every week packing the place out and I think the problem at the moment for Sunderland is it looks like the fans are the fans are giving up at, well, most of the fans are giving up at the moment and I think that's that for me is the most worrying thing of, of all well, yeah. I, I mean, I you know, you get into that, you get into that sort of conversation about what the point of a football club is and what the point of your support is, and of course, for all of that, it's your own personal history, it's your family, it's your mates, it's 
your city, it's your town, it's where you're from, it's what you do, it's just always in grip. But but there has to be, you know, the, the club has to give something back or mm. there has to be, yeah. you want to feel like you're part of something bigger than you and you want mm. to be part of something, you want to be part of something that stands for something. And I don't mm. know what, Sunderland, I mean, Sunderland stopped standing for something in terms of having any kind of identity a long time ago in terms of on the pitch. Mm. But fans here have seen two home wins since December, two th- mm. uh, December 2016. That's I mean, right. it's, there has to be something, you know, there has to be something more, more of it. And, you know, go, going to the match spoils the day now. It's that that gets mm. in the way of having a good day. It's not anything else. And it's incredibly sad. I mean, I I would never criticise people for not going because, you know, I, I I think when you look across the northeast, I'm kind of blown away by the number of people that do go to games, um, in, especially in terms of, you know, not winning things. Mm. Um, I, th- I think people and Sunderland fans are, are quite annoyed with the coverage in the national media at the moment, not necessarily from you two gentlemen, but... I think they get frustrated that the attendance is focused on so much. I mean, you have opinions on this, Connor, don't you? Well, yeah, I mean, well, there's 28,000 there. I know that's not necessarily how many were there, but 28,000 tickets sold on Saturday, and yet the BBC's posting articles about people leaving on 65 minutes when we're 2-0 down, down to 10 men, won two home games in the last 14 months, won the least amount of games in the last 10 years of any football league yeah, I, I, well I mean listen I've not seen the piece you're talking about where the, the point I was making earlier was I was at the match against uh, Villa the other week and I think with five minutes to go there must have been like a couple of thousand supporters mm. left in the city. and by the way don't blame them at all I would have left yeah, yeah. I mean a supporter like, I don't blame I, I just mean the sort of negative no, I, 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 I think, I I think I'm finding it difficult to find a positive somewhere yeah, in that yeah. I, yeah, because I mean, I, 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 I didn't, I didn't. Maybe I didn't express what I meant to say very well. But what I mean is, you know, Sunderland have bricks and mortar at the stadium, and they have bricks and mortar at the academy, Academy of Light, and things like that. But a, a, a football club is a collection of people, and it's those yeah. people who go and watch it. That's what the whole point of a football club is. And at the minute, you've got something at Sunderland that is exactly as you say Keith people are drifting away from it mm-hmm. because it doesn't reflect them anymore and it doesn't represent them anymore apart from for all those you know sort of historical ties there's nothing to kind of buy into and that mm. is incredibly sad do you think we should be looking at some sort of fans protest there is a meeting actually in the Peacock pub from the fan organisation Red and White Army tomorrow night I think that starts at 7, seven yeah so I'd encourage fans to go along to that if they wanted to uh, to want to initiate some action but George, do you think that Sunderland fans should be protesting? Should we be doing more? Should we be taking a stand? Well, so I don't think that's my job to say that fans should be. What I would say is they're absolutely 100% within their rights mm. to do that. And, you know, it's not about it's not about sort of expecting the team and the club to win things. It's about, but it's, it's about saying that things should be better than this. And it's about saying, you know, what the club is going through at the moment is and has gone through over the last few few months and years is is unacceptable i have i mean you know without 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 me encouraging people to do it if i was a Sunderland fan i would be mm-hmm. and i'm part part of me is kind of quite surprised that it's taken so long to get to this point but then i as i said before i think that's also because blame has been a shifting target and i think people have sort of given ellis short the benefit of the doubt I don't think he's deserved that, but I can sort of understand it because of the way seasons have finished and because he's changed managers so so regularly. And so there's always been this cycle of blame starting again and again and again. But no, I mean, I, you know, I think pe- pe- people have sort of said, what's the point of protesting when he's already put the club up for sale and he's not around? But I think mm-hmm. 
that's that in some ways that's the point it's it's about making noise and it's about reminding him and the rest of us and the world that Sunderland still exists and you know I, I kind of wrote a few a few weeks ago Sunderland was once known for the Roka Roar and that mm. was that was a sound I mean that was a noise there's nothing wrong with making noise and with making sound so I mean I if people are protesting, they're doing it because they care and they want things to be better. And mm. so, how can you how can you criticise that? I think what concerns us as well as fans is the the general apathy around the club. As you said, there's that not not that noise being being made at the moment, and that is a concern for a historically passionate fan base. I find it sort of frustrating as well watching Newcastle, and I know I don't want to talk about them too much, but they've got that Gallagher flags. They are very vocal and have been for ten years about how much they don't like Mike Ashley, and they get. Mm. Almost, well, I, but I would say rightly sympathy about it because he is a nightmare owner. And I look at Sunderland, and we're not, we don't look arsed like in a lot of ways. And I understand why the media coverage can lend that way because you know the stadium looks empty on the telly, and we've never there's been no protests, no you know, stand outside the Murray Gates with the picket, <laughs> picket mm. signs and stuff. And <laughs> I, I've sort of find it as though I haven't done my job. You know, we have a platform with Rope Report, and we've not done anything mm. with it, mm. Mm. but I mean, I, I. I you're right. They, I mean, and I suppose, I suppose that's the way it has to go. I think there has to be there has to be a movement from supporters first to complain about what's happening, and then that gets picked up on by the media and yeah. it's reported. And Newcastle fans have done, you know, quite a few eye-catching things over the years that has got a lot of attention. In terms of militancy, there isn't there isn't much militancy at Newcastle in spite of the perception of them that they're always rebelling there's no organised there's been no organised opposition to Ashley apart from the kind of Ashley Out campaign and the and the Sack Pardew campaign yeah. but that was a very those were very limited numbers of people there's been no huge demonstrations there's been no mass walkouts compared to Man United supporters when the Glazers took over green and yellow and, green, and, and, mm. and especially compared to Liverpool the, I think the I think the I think it's a it's almost a fault of Northeast supporters. I mean, I'm one myself, so I'm not. It's not, but it's that loyalty thing. It's actually not wanting to rebel. You know, it's about being loyal. It's about turning up and it's about bearing witness and all that kind of stuff. But it has been a, it you know it it it's a failing because, you know, I think I think people should be unhappy with how their club is being and clubs are being run. Um, so. But yeah, Newcastle have got attention for doing things because it's been it's been sort of eye catching. I think. Well, lighten the mood a bit, um, Keith. What is the most mental experience you've had on deadline day? Because I bet it's a bit, I bet it's a bit hectic at times. Um, let me think. Have um, you ever had you a know, dildo in Celtic? I've, I've, I've not. <laughs> um, not not in my ear anyway. No. <laughs> um, that let me. Th- there was actually an incident that night, actually. Um, at Sunderland with a fan and they didn't actually get reported um, what was it it was they were. there was I think one of the betting companies were offering odds for someone to get a shirt on fire of the uh, opposing team um, wow. so a, a lovely gentleman drove down from Glasgow um, I didn't know him by the way and had a Newcastle strip and he was trying to set it on fire at the back of us and it was the same night as the aforementioned uh, dildo evening <laughs> now that obviously got a little bit more coverage we were just about to go live and the guy came running and luckily there's a couple of security guards that managed to bundle, bundle him over and I think as a result of that and what happened elsewhere at Everton that night that's why now 
You're in the no, ground, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, yeah, that's why we're in the ground and there's no fans here. And in a way, it kind of takes a little bit of the drama away, but it means we're a lot safer. Um, <laughs> I bet it was quite intimidating, though. It was, a little bit. I mean, he was, he was hovering around for, for hours as well, like, mm. waiting for his move. So we actually, Sunderland were great. They actually brought down a couple of extra security guards to help us out, just in case. Um, and, of course, if you think about it, you're standing at the camera talking, you don't have a clue what's going on over your shoulder. And I can <laughs> yeah. just see my cameraman looking around, like I could tell something was going on and I'm still trying to talk at the same time. <laughs> Anything could happen. So um, that was that. But in terms of... Um, the footballing side of things I've not had that many big transfers on deadline day up here whether it be Sunderland or Newcastle or Middlesbrough there hasn't been a, a huge amount on deadline day in the four and a half years uh, I've been here probably the, probably the, not the biggest story but the one that I found more ridiculous was just in the window just there when I was at Newcastle and we had shots of Alexander Mitrovic heading out to mm. Brussels on a flight and you know a private jet arrived there and then it all fell through and they ended up having a choice of three or four clubs and he did part of his Fulham medical out there in Brussels before he eventually signed for, um, for Fulham so that in terms of transfers not a, not a massive one because it was a loan deal mm-hmm. um, but yeah I mean it's it, sometimes it gets a little bit sort of depressing because you want to be the one who has huge deals I mean I think my predecessor David Craig had Andy Carroll when he signed for uh, Liverpool that time from Newcastle someone's flown there in a helicopter I've had nothing like that um, but yeah that one that this deadline day up at Newcastle was probably the busiest I've been with Slomani and Dubravka both arriving on the day Mitrovic heading out um, I think one of my first ones I did at Sunderland was um was two or three arrived, but again, I think it was like Sebastian, Sebastian Quates and a couple mm. of those. Again, it <laughs> underwhelming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the time, we were excited about it. it gets a guy coming in from Liverpool, Uruguay International, but again, it, it didn't really pay off. How, how do you feel when, um, yeah. like, I find it frustrating when I watch Sky Sports News on deadline day and you come on, and I'm like, oh, get in, it's Keith. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. come on, dad, man, brother, come on, come <laughs> watch Keith. Happening. Yeah. And uh, you just say the same things. Like, do you find it frustrating when they're coming oh, to you and course. you have absolutely nothing? Oh, new? of course. Well, I mean, of course, we want to be busy, of course. We, we, we want to be sort of breaking the big stories but at the same time we try to get around all the clubs I mean things have changed recently I would say in the last couple of transfer windows and we've not just gone to clubs for the sake of it like certainly the one in January there they said look we're only going to come to you they set up a plan for every hour and like we're only going to come to you if something happens so let us know in half an hour if there's something or if you can move it on or just put a little new twist on the, the story or you know just give the, the viewer something new we have changed that I think in the past we used to kind of be um, quite sort of religiously go around yeah. every, every ground we don't mm. do that so much now um, but yeah of course it's frustrating I don't want to be standing there for 17 hours talking about nothing <laughs> trying to make things up I want to be busy and talking about things that are going on and that's why this one in, in January was good Do you so, looking forward to uh, Jan and Via like that was so close on yeah, yeah, well, it yeah. seemed to be to close remember that one. Last, it was last deadline yeah. day where he'd been oh, he on pictured, the one he was pictured down and he put a and he'd Instagrammed and, yeah, yeah. it saying yeah. that they didn't call and then, and then there was a guy on Twitter who said he'd been talking to him and all, all the yeah. rumours so, circulated so yeah okay so you've just reminded me about that so that day I was at, I was actually in the stadium I think I was at the stadium light that day and um, you know that was excitement for us. He pictured that, and we uh, great to get the shots of him arriving. Maybe we'll grab an interview with him. So when that doesn't happen, we are we, we are gutted. You know, we, mm. we we want the transfers to happen, whatever club you're covering. Are the, are the clubs quite accommodating with you in terms uh, on, of feeding on, you on, information? Um, on on I, I, what I would say is on deadline day, um, you do get you seem to have a, a lot better communication with them than you would on a normal day because mm. but that's because they're quite understanding. They know that you're standing in the cold for all those hours, yeah. and they want to try. And I mean, listen, they're not going to tell you everything. In fact, sometimes they don't tell you anything and you don't just speak to the clubs, you're obviously in touch yeah. with, with agents and other people in the game as well. Um, and it's again, it's all judgment calls. Sometimes sometimes if the club go quiet, you're not getting much of, from them. You can kind of read between the lines that you think there's something happening because they don't, they don't want it getting out there. So it's just, again, it's just pure judgment calls and you just make sure you speak to enough people to allow you to believe that 
that is the case. Sometimes you're not 100%, but you've just got to go with your, your gut instinct on something. Mm-hmm. Are there any Sunderland managers that you think were let go too early, George? Because for me, the one that really rankles and the one that I think the biggest missed opportunity disappointment for me was Martin O'Neill. Well, he would agree with that. And I've, <clears throat> I mean, I've stayed in contact with him and I would count him as a friend now because I, I cover Ireland and I always go for a cup of tea with him uh, before matches and things like that. And it's, he, it's a source of, even now, it's a source of great, great pain, pain for him. And, um, you know, it felt, things felt tired towards the end with Martin. And I think he was tired of, dealing with what he had to deal with um, and obviously De Canio came in and, and, and the club was De Canio wasn't it yeah and the club stayed yeah. up yeah he, he later referred to him as that managerial fraud I remember um, <laughs> Martin, but he was he he should have been it felt like he should have been the one you yeah. know the boyhood Sunderland fan um, you know the fellow that used to used to listen to Charlie early on the on the wireless when he was a kid growing up, and I remember distinctly remember the press conference when he arrived, and it was sort of like, what you know, what do you see as the template? And he says, well, we're a million miles away, but I want us to play like Barcelona and things like that. And you kind of thought something special, special might happen, but it's very different. You know, it's very difficult to sort of it's very difficult to sort of rewrite to sort of rewrite history and think what might have been because it did feel you know it felt stale by the end and I'm I'm not sure that that's a reflection of hit on him necessarily I think it's a reflection of what was happening at the at the club and you know the club has chewed up good managers you know things felt very very exciting under Steve Bruce for a while I know that the down period with with Steve kind of carried on for a lot longer, but you know he's gone on and done done good things elsewhere. And um, but you know I think we look back at that season when they finished tenth and Darren Bent's goals and all that kind of stuff and think that that was a kind of opportunity. And that um, and of course I look back to to I mean it is pretty much all of them. Uh, you know <laughs> you look back at Keane and how exciting that was and how yeah. how the club needed a spark. And the city needed a spark under it. And he gave it, and I feel like we've, we've lacked. The club seems was... to have lacked discipline since Keane left. For me, behind the scenes, that's just the impression I get. I don't know if you two are, are more informed than us, but do you mean discipline? Into well, I mean no. They've lacked. They've lacked structure. They've lacked discipline. They've lacked people in the right places. Mm. They've lacked. You know, they've lacked football people after Niall Quinn left. Mm. They've lacked. Um, you know, and I think that was something that Martin suffered from. He was brought in, you know, he was effectively brought in by Niall, and then Niall ended up mm. going fairly quickly. And I think, I think Martin suffered suffered for that. Um, and you know, they were dealing with they were. De- I mean, the club carried on and it functioned, but it was, you know, in the face of it. But I think behind the scenes, it was very dysfunctional. Mm. I think it was very dysfun- dysfunctional. Um, but you know, you also, of course. Sam Allardyce. I mean, that felt yeah. that was such a perfect fit. I was around at Newcastle when he, when he was at Newcastle, and it was the opposite. It was, it was, you know, it was the wrong fit. It's interesting how a few miles and a few years, and that you know how how somebody can be the right fit at the right at the right time and all that. And he was perfect. Yeah, from, from the minute he walked in the door. I mean, was, just behind the scenes and the way he spoke to everyone and just kind of galvanised everything. And I think he came yeah. in at a right. He came at a right mm-hmm. time for, for him as well. I mean. I think he was at the time when he got that job. I can't remember where he'd been before that. But he was looking to get back in, and then suddenly, what a year, six months, a year time. on, West Ham it was. He'd been, yeah. he'd, he'd been sacked there, hadn't he? And then there you are, he's, he's, mm. he's the England manager. And he had that bit of swagger, and he had that. Yeah. Uh, it's quite funny. I was thinking about this about David Moyes, who, you know, on the face of it, there was logic behind his appointment. You know, and particularly because 
Ellis Short said he'd wanted him for you know so many times. So he most was, fans were very pleased. Wasn't yeah, they were at the and, time, and yeah. you know the idea of having a club builder and things like that. In you know, and famously, he then said in his second, second game oh, match, actually, we yeah. are in a relegation battle after a good performance. <laughs> but there was that. Really, Allardyce said exactly the same thing. Yeah, but he I, did it. Yeah. He did it with a swagger. He did yeah. it with a swagger, and he did it with arrogance, and he did it with a bit of bullishness. And what Sunderland needed at, at that point was someone to lift them. And David came in, and I know, uh, you know, he said himself what he was trying to do was he was trying to promise low and then deliver mm-hmm. high. Mm-hmm. But what it did was it's whatever momentum was at the club, it sucked it out, and you know they never got that. But, but should it though? But should, but should it though, George? If you're a if you're a professional footballer, and your manager says, oh, "I think we're going to be in a relegate." That, if I'm a player. I, that that wouldn't bother me. I'd want to go out there and prove him wrong. Like mm. I, I personally didn't think that was as big an issue as a lot of people made. Well, what, I think. What I, said. Well, okay. So I, I, don't, I don't know if it was just about the players. I think it was about the whole mood at the club, and that's mm. what I mean about the right person at the right time. I think his personality. I think his that the the dourness of his personality yeah. was not what Sunderland needed. If you know, if a, if a manager is the person that sort of that is the face of of the club or the company or whatever it is, then. That's not what Sunderland needed at that point. Mm-hmm. They needed somebody to to lift because they'd finished that season on a high. They'd finished that season which what with what I mean, it, it would probably all have gone anyway. But um, but there, there was there was there was a, a a depression to the way he spoke and the way he behaved. Yeah. And I know why he did it, but it just wasn't what was needed. They needed a spark, and he didn't provide that. I, I felt with uh, Chris Coleman arriving that um, Sunderland had that I remember yeah. I, I actually got asked to write an opinion piece for our website back when just after Simon Grayson had left and he said look who do you think it should be whatever and at that stage I remember the name was getting banded around with managers of League 1 and League 2 clubs and weren't anybody and I remember saying at the time look Sunderland I remember writing a piece in Sunderland just needs someone who's going to try and make people smile again and the one yeah. that instantly I thought of was Ali McCoy so although he hadn't done a great job at Rangers in latter times I know him well and I thought he would have come in and when I didn't even I didn't even think for a second they could have got Coleman I think we were all so surprised yeah, that, we so, so when Coleman arrived I thought this is perfect this is exactly what Sunderland are looking for here but again, that's the thing. It's a, it's a question of timing, isn't it? He's not a, a, no money yeah. to spend. To- we we uh, <laughs> the club did a little drinks thing with Martin Bain and Coleman just before Christmas, and it's you know it sounds it'll, I'm sure it sounds a bit incestuous, but anyway, it's quite nice. They they, <laughs> they you know you, you you journalists reporters whatever meet them just slightly you know away from the scenes and you have a chat. Anyway, it was all fine, and I had a couple of beers, not. Not Darren Gibson, um, something <laughs> like that. A couple of beers, anyway. And I went over to Coleman at the end of the evening, towards the end of the evening, and said, "What the fuck are you thinking?" <laughs> and I did that not out of disrespect to him, and certainly not out of disrespect to someone, because I was delighted that he'd mm. arrived. But anyway, it was meant as a joke, and he took it well. But his answer was absolutely everything that you'd want someone to say yeah. about a northeast club, because he said. Well, this could be the biggest club. I, this could be the biggest job I get. Sunderland might very well be the biggest club I could, I could manage. And why can't I be the one that turns it around? Why can't mm. it be me? And you know, and we had a bit of to and fro and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's the sort of, in some ways, that's the saddest thing about about what's happening. It's not the saddest thing about what's happening now. That's one of the sad things about what's happening now is that he arrived thinking about Sunderland as a big club and as a club with stature and as a very similar to. Benitez at Newcastle now that I think about it you know thinking about them in a quite an old fashioned way mm. that this is a big club that th- you know here is the potential and I'm the person who can turn it round and obviously 
he hasn't done it and he, I mean he hasn't got the tools to yeah, do it yeah I mean I, th- I think I think everyone or one of us that evening asked him that same question I yeah. think we were all we were all just so surprised <laughs> yeah. I think by the time George had he just had a few extra beers but um, yeah we all asked him that and, and I said to him I said look if you'd waited a couple of weeks you probably could have got West Brom or you probably could have got Stoke or you probably could have got Swansea he's like yeah but I wanted, I wanted to be here. I wanted to take. A, I see Sunderland as a massive club, and I want, I want to go somewhere where I can make a difference. As George says, he, I want to turn the, the ship around, and actually, so you can. So I mean, honestly, we were, we were amazed that you know that he would speak like this, and we thought, you know, this is the right man for the job. And then it's just sad that things have got to a stage now where it's, it's all, it's all. You're almost at the stage where it's too late to do anything about it. You know. Mm-hmm. And do you think we are definitely headed for League One? Yeah, um, I mean, listen, you never say never say definite because you end up with egg in your but face. But I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm just not seeing as I get like George. I've not been at every game this season. A couple of matches this season, I've actually gone on my day off just to go and watch. I think I want to go along and and see. So I went along to the the Villa game on my day off. I went along to the game on New Year's Day. I think that was Barnsley, Barnsley was it on day off. 1-0. And it just seems to be two 0 or three 0 home defeats every since. And I, I'm I'm just mm. not seeing enough fight from the players mm. and. It's been said a million times, yes, they're in games, but there's absolutely no cutting edge and there's a softness right down the spine of the yeah. team. And I think that we've all played football before and when you're playing for a team that's that's losing and has no confidence, you start doing little things that like you're hiding, you won't look for the ball yeah. and, you, and, and you can just see that over the pitch. Mm. And and for me, there's, 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 there's probably too many young players in the team. And I know, I know a lot of supporters are saying, just put the kids in, just throw them in. But these kids that these could be damaged for the for the future yeah. moving forward you know and you feel for the likes of Madja and uh, Ajaria who's on loan and Asoro and Honeyman because they're, they're getting put through the mill so to answer your question I'm not seeing enough from the squad and, and even if you do stay up is it anything to celebrate I mean is that I mean I get the impression of a couple of good mates with Sunderland supporters and they're almost like look just Put us out, put us out of misery now. Yeah, we yeah. we were saying this before uh, before the show, weren't we? We just kind of want to be, we want to know now, don't we? Yeah, I, think, I mean, it's it's weird that they. I mean, they should have been killed off by now. Yeah, and they haven't. We deserve, uh, deserve but, to be. but to me, that feels like extending the misery for a bit longer, yeah. as opposed to them having a chance if, because because then I mean I'd, I can't see where it would come from. Mm. I just can't see where it. Would come if from. if you were to stay up now, would that be something you'd celebrate? I, I personally wouldn't celebrate. Yeah. I'd be happy. I mean, you know, I'd be pleased that they're, they're my football club, but I, I wouldn't take any great pride in it. I'd be <laughs> pinching myself. Yeah, it's it's not going to happen. They've got no chance. If, if it should was, be, you shouldn't be celebrating that. You shouldn't be. That's the thing. No, that's yeah, the sad thing. Be. It's got to that level where yeah. uh, you. The only relegation I particularly recall celebrating was uh, sorry, survival was the Poye Great Escape. That was ridiculous. That was and then obviously the time we relegated the Mags. Mm. But other than that, why celebrate surviving? This club should be doing more than surviving it should be top for me it's a top 12 Premier League club yeah. mm-hmm. and it's never been that really since what two years in 1999 to mm. 2001 very true right we're going to take a quick break we shall be back in a second hello and welcome back to part two um, I'll throw straight into a question um, did you see the capitulation coming after last season's relegation or we are both quite hopeful for this season did you think we'd bounce back I, I thought I thought this season I didn't think you bounced straight back but I thought this season would be one of consolidation mm-hmm. um, and and then I was actually surprised with the first couple of games because the draw against Derby in the opening game 
Sunderland probably deserved to win that. It was a great atmosphere that night, albeit the ground wasn't packed. It was a great atmosphere, good start to the season. Then came the win at Norwich. And I think it was a draw at Sheffield Wednesday. And I thought, yeah. hang on, they actually might do. And there was a couple of young boys coming through who we hadn't seen much of, the likes of Honeyman and seen a bits and pieces of Gooch and whatnot. I thought, we've got a chance here. And I did not see the capitulation that's happened since then. I honestly, I thought, I thought mid-table would be a, a good benchmark. And then next season... Push for mm-hmm. push for promotion. I didn't think it'd be like Newcastle, where they kind of just threw a bit of money at it when they went down. You obviously Sunderland hadn't done that, but I did feel they had enough to. So I must admit, I've been I've been fairly uh, shocked to, to see the demise. You, what did you make of um, the the summer business? Because I actually remember when we signed Wilson, McManaman, Williams, McGeady, Williams, mm. Browning. I, I looked at it. I was like, you know what? That's a they're decent signings, but they've been. Galloway, I thought Galloway was going to be brilliant. So bad. Galloway like, came in highly higher rated than Browning. Yeah, like what? What yeah. did you make of the business at the time? Because I, I thought they were decent. Yeah, yeah. I thought, again, I didn't think I didn't think they were would get you straight back up. But I thought they were. I thought they were Solid decent players. enough signings. But when you look through them, you've just named a few of them. There's probably one of them that's got decent experience. Two of them has got decent experience in Championship. McMahon and McGeady, and again, they've been trouble with injury quite a lot. Mm. I mean, Browning. He looks a he looks a good player. He's an athlete. He's he's the worst footballer I've ever seen. He can't play football. <laughs> yeah. He's good at. Well, he's not go think, do you not think he's a kind of guy when you watch him? You think he actually he could he's got the potential to be decent if he actually yeah has some know, confidence. Yeah, he's, he's, got, he's, got got a, the attri- he's got the attributes to to be a player. We say he's got a, a fifty pence piece foot because yeah, like he kicks it just like it's going to go that way that way that way he just has he's no idea out now for the rest of the season so he's gone back to uh gone back to Everton I think I, th- I mean I think I was hoping that there would be yeah I mean Newcastle's relegation was sort of like a Carlsberg relegation and they went down with momentum which is incredibly rare mm. and obviously they then invested heavily I suppose there were warning signs with a lack of investment in the summer but no I mean I, I suppose what you know I think what, what I sort of wanted was that the club should go through that process of learning how to win games again yeah. remembering that you know nobody nobody wants to get relegated but actually winning games of football is fun and it doesn't yeah. actually matter which level you do, yeah. do it at to, to a certain extent to go to different clubs to go to different stadiums have a, have a bit of fun you know and then sort of rebuild like that and I've you know, as the club settled towards the bottom of the division, I never thought they would stay there. And mm-hmm. it's become, you know, it's obvi- obviously as as the weeks and months have gone on, it's become obvious that they're just not going to kind of get out. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's so no. I mean, I, d- I definitely didn't, I definitely didn't see it coming. But um, obviously us as fans would, you know, we don't want to get relegated. We were pleased with the greatest day escapes, pleased with staying in the Premier League and all of the, the kind of, the, the glamorised that brings. Do you think Sunderland may have been better served going down a couple of seasons ago well I think I think I suppose it put it 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 wasn't used as an excuse to build it was an excuse to go through the same cycle all over again Mm -hmm. and I think that was the case and I think the only aim was staying up you know the only and if the only aim of your football club is to stay up then you'll soon realise that you know there's not a lot behind that Mm -hmm. and um I think because Alice Short thought he got away with it, I thought, you know, I think he thought he could then do it again. And it's quite interesting what's happening in the Premier League this season. You have all those established clubs at the bottom. It's actually quite similar to, to Sunderland in some ways that they come up, they, this isn't exactly the same as Sunderland, but they come up, they've stabilised, they've finished in a decent position, and then they've suddenly tried to get from there to the next step and they actually lose their way completely and the promoted teams who've come up only come up with one aim and that's to stay up Mm -hmm. and for a season or two that can be very powerful so I mean to answer your questions in in some way in some ways maybe it would have been better to go down and have that have that short sharp 
shock and have that as then an excuse to rebuild and do it properly. I think mm. it was always deferred. Judgment was always deferred. He thought that he could appoint another manager, keep them up and do it again at the same time as collecting you know, a new group of players, a new group of substandard players because you haven't got the right people doing the doing the recruitment and then the whole cycle starts again and um, you know, I think that, that sort of became Sunderland's identity and it shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't have done. Um, I didn't wish them to go down earlier but I think in retrospect, you know, if if they'd had a sort of, if they'd had a more engaged ownership and it had happened earlier then maybe, you know, maybe they wouldn't be where they are now. Would you agree, Keith? Um, I mean, it's difficult to tell because had they gone down two years ago, would Ellis Short, would Ellis Short have backed them? Would they have given money? I mean, it's been the perfect storm this year, hasn't it? <laughs> By going down, yeah. players, you know, certain players leaving, not being able to bring others in, players having to play too many games that probably, I think they'll agree, probably should have maybe moved on and had a fresh start before. They're probably playing too many matches. And then young lads coming into the team who haven't, really had a chance before so I mean you just put all that together and it's been a bit of a nightmare had they gone down two years ago and Ellis Short had invested then you would say things obviously would have looked a lot better but we don't know that so it's a difficult question the financial situation was as bad two years ago like people think that it's a new thing he might not have had enough by then he might have thought well hang on we'll do what Newcastle Mm. have done and get him back you don't know We we don't know a question from Jordan Ramsey here from um, from Twitter is it finally time of Twitter's fame of Twitter fame of Twitter yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah okay. it is is it I am finally time to sack off this season and get the youngsters ready for next season for me it has to happen the fans won't get on the back of the youngsters and it will hugely help us next season in League One given experience to players like Emeldon Strajek and Molyneux etc well I've not seen those players so I find it very difficult to sort of I mean all I would say is that that's that's theory's fine if those players are good enough but mm-hmm. um you know there is more more experienced people than me in, in football would say that the danger there is that you're going to it's not so much giving them experience it's going to it could scar them at the moment and does it stop fans getting on players back if they're still losing games I'm not sure I'm not so sure about that well, I don't think we've seen does. that with Honeyman this season where he gets he gets a bit of stick I've got a, a one of the things I'm looking forward to about going to League One is the fact that it might be the first time and probably only time in Sunderland's modern history that we'll have possibly nine youth products in the team mm. nine people from Sunland or being in the system for years and that that kind of is how I think the club should be marketing itself like if they want to do yeah. a season ticket renewal it should be you know you're getting represented by 11 Mackhams mm-hmm. on the pitch and but, would you, but would you carry on saying that if you're not winning every week or if you're losing every week See, I think yeah you make a good point that would go out the window I think I think it would be easier to take possibly because you're always fond of your own players you're gonna and give, produce you're players. You're going to give your younger players more time. Certainly. You can't sack off this season until this season is gone. I mean, I think they have to go through yeah. the motions and they have to do that. I mean, I, I just... I just think I think they have to. There must be. But do you think this this current group of players deserve that chance to get us out of it? The likes of Catterball and O'Shea and like, they're contracted and they're on four yard ground a week. Yeah, so. I mean, I, would, I mean, the only thing I would say, I mean, no, no one is going to be sympathetic to those to those players because they're associated with failure. All I would say about the two players you mentioned there, Catterball and O'Shea, is that for all the churn that there's been in the dressing room, managers, manager after manager after manager have come back and picked them. Mm. Now there's a there has to be a reason for that. If if you've had dealings with Catmull and O'Shea because they're yeah. scapegoats, if anything, I mean, do you think I know O'Shea? I know, I, know, I, know, I know John O'Shea, and I know he's a he's a fantastic fantastic lad, and he cares. And you know, if it, uh, they both, they both, to be honest, they both are. 
I mean, is, if, and if his legs are gone, that's that's not his fault. I mean, again, I'm not I'm not wanting anybody. I don't think they deserve sympathy or anything like that. That would be absolutely the wrong phrase to use. But I, in terms of caring, they I mean, they care, but it doesn't. It's not going to look like it because the team are losing every week and it's shambolic and it's it's not easy to show you care in a losing team week in mm. week out. You know, I'm not. I can't sort of. I can't. I can't. I can't defend them, but. I will say that there is a reason why they're always the same players who are relied upon. I think I think the idea with certainly with O'Shea this season was he was going to play a bit part role. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I think yeah, I think yeah, it was yeah, good, yeah. I think it was good yeah. news for them in the summer when he signed yeah. the the deal. It was good news for the club. I think everyone was happy. You've got the yeah. old head there, someone to help the youngsters through. And I don't think the plan was. I mean, I think he's pretty much played every game. Is he not? About, yeah. Off, yeah. off the pitch, he's brilliant. I mean, off the pitch. He's he's brilliant. Sorry, off the pitch, but in the dressing room, he is he is seen as a crucial figure. He always has been throughout his career. He's he's very sensible. He nurses other players through things, and he and he plays that he plays that kind of captain's mm. role, and he does that he does that kind of very very well. I mean, I like I like him a lot, but I mean, as I say, all these players are going to be associated with with the failure yeah. of the last few years. So. I, I had a sit down with Chris Coleman uh, a couple of months ago and I asked him that exact question about O'Shea and, and Katamo and, and what they bring and, and he was very strong in his views that they are a, a massive part of it for him he said they've been great behind the scenes I know as George says it doesn't look like that on the pitch when you when you look at results but mm-hmm. I think it's more I think I think it's difficult for supporters because I think you're obviously looking for someone to blame yeah and and listen, we've all been there. I'm a football supporter myself. You, you, you do and, they've, do and they've been around for a long time. Yeah. So it's obvious. And I think I think they would. I think they would both privately admit that you know they probably needed a fresh start, but it hasn't arrived. I suppose John O'Shea probably thought the fresh start was you know in the championship, it's a lesser level. But then that he needs he needs kind of legs about him, and the other players who have. I mean, let's you guys are talking about O'Shea and Catamore. They look at Coney, how much he's regressed in, in two years. You know, and that's a guy who that's a guy who the club turned out of bid. What I think it was 70, 17 and so like you know I think I think they're easy targets those two I I do think they're easy targets but I mean I think you could go through the entire squad and you'd struggle to pick two players who've who've got past mark I would say about them that they've they've always wanted to be at Sunderland Mm -hmm. and you can't say that about everybody uh, one player might not be able to say that about is Jack Rodwell. What, what what do you make of that situation? Because that that's something that really rankles. Put with, a pound in the swear box. Yeah, we, yeah <laughs> I don't like yeah, the, the word Jack Rodwell. But that's something that really rankles with the Sunderland fans. Is he's on seventy grand a week in the Championship? Doesn't play. Doesn't make himself available. Yeah, it's a staggering, staggering situation. I was I think I said to you before we started. I, I kind of knew Lee Congerton. Um, got to know him moderately well, and when they signed Jack Rodwell. I remember him saying we have signed a future England a future England captain <laughs> or we think we've signed a future England captain um, now that may have been that may have been pie in the sky then but um, to think about how his reputation has dipped has dipped since then and he he, he hasn't you know I hate sort of don't want to be kind of personal about it but he doesn't look like a footballer he doesn't when you see him on the pitch he doesn't look like a footballer um, looks scared doesn't he and you know he is he is he 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 is his own person and he's you know he he's as i say doesn't look like a footballer but he's also a very potent symbol to sunderland's about sunderland's folly and um signing him and not giving him the same relegation clause that everybody else had and um 
giving him those wages and giving him that contract and all that kind of thing. He's come to kind of represent what's happened. He's he's come to represent some of those really awful decisions. I mean, it's it's pretty horrible to think that he would prefer to stay here and 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 accept that money and and not play. And he did have chances to get out in January. He was. A, I was told at the time he was close to going to an MLS club and decided not to. And I know he, he went. He went on trial wherever it was in. Oh, no, he had the trial cancelled, didn't he? Yeah, yeah he did test. 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 Yeah. He had a chance to go to an MLS club and allegedly turned that turned that down. And it's one of those things. He is a he is a he is a testament to the club's folly. But he's also um, he's also he's he's like the invisible footballer. Mm. Keith, you mentioned about Catamore and O'Shea mm. and, and being good heads in the dressing room and caring. Does Rodwell care about Zealand AFC? I mean, I don't. I, I can't say I know Jack Rodwell as well as I know the other two that you've mentioned. I interviewed him a few times. I've always found him a really intelligent, nice guy. He's not. He's not. He's certainly not your average footballer mm-hmm. in terms of the way he comes across. I remember speaking to him about his, about his brother, who's and doing a masters in uni. And he's very. He seems to be very intelligent himself. I, I think looking at it. You have to question whether he still has a a love for the game. It looks to me as though maybe he's just lost that. Whether that's been years and years of nagging injuries, and let's not let's not um, put this to one side. Confidence is such an easy thing to say, but it's a massive part of football. And if you've lost your confidence, which a lot of those Sunderland players have, it's so hard to get back. And he just seems to have lost it to an, an even an even bigger oh. extent. He's not. He's, look, he's not one of these guys that goes around and causes trouble in a dressing room. I just think he's maybe he, he almost comes across as maybe he's almost too nice to be a, too nice to be a footballer. You know, you you can normally tell if the players have got a bit of nasty streak, and I mean, he doesn't seem to have that. But he must have had something to get to that level where he was getting that big move to Man City. You know, but um, that and like like the default the default um, deal by putting the clause in his contract. It's I mean, we, when we mentioned when you asked the question at the start of this, what's the the biggest mistake? There's just two we just mentioned. That we've forgotten about. There've been so many over the years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They've been made at that managerial level that just you know added together just make this you know toxic potion that's come to where Sunderland are now and I think Jack Rodwell I mean it's he's obviously he's training with the youths training with under 23s um, he's injured at, at present I'm told so he's obviously getting treatment there Chris Coleman trying to keep him aside from the rest of the players but yeah it can't be it must be a bit of a distraction for the rest of the players having someone like that there who's picking up significantly more money than any of them mm. and not and not contributing and you want you want players to particularly at a time like this to be busting a gut to kind of be involved to be part of it to help so that you know that feels very painful that he's not doing that or if he still has the hunger for the game then you know Go and rediscover it somewhere else, and it's yeah. so it's 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 a real it's a real mess, real mess. It is, it is indeed. Colin, did you have a question? You you look like you were going to pitch in there. Uh, no, but I, I have got something interesting that I was looking up today. So well, we'll be the judge of that. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no I was just looking at the kind of the the record of of Grayson at Sunderland. He was given a hard time by many uh, Sunderland fans. James in particular wasn't a fan. Uh, well, but I you look at his record at Sunderland, and it it's better than Coleman's. And Coleman, I think's uh, is he getting a free pass? I don't know if that's harsh, but people aren't really questioning him as a manager. You know, we've played 21, 22 games. We've scored 16 goals, conceded 35. We've got a worse points percentage, you know, at least under Grayson, we were sort of scoring goals and mm. looked like we were in games and looked exciting going forward. It, it just seems to me like... Top striker's gone. Top striker's gone, but it's, the, the team just team. seems to be 
doesn't look like scoring a goal ever like the weekend they would never have scored if the game went on for another day mm. and I, I will I will admit to giving Grayson a bit too much stick I don't think Coleman should be absolved of all blame it's, it's like charisma I'm a fan of yeah. uh, Coleman but charisma's charisma saving way, it? Coleman a bit at the minute because he's not really getting any stick and for how bad it's been under him mm. I think he, but he you said I mean has he got a free pass I mean I think in some ways he probably has because I think he I mean up to a certain point because he can say well it was a basket case when I arrived and it's still a basket case and okay I haven't I haven't turned it around but who could I mean I think there's I think that's a valid argument. I don't know whether that's right or wrong or not, but I think it's certainly a valid, valid argument. Um, but you know, I, free pass is not quite the right phrase because if you listen to him at press conferences, he's obviously oh, he's a broken man. He's isn't he? suffering. I mean, yeah. he is suffering, and he takes the responsibility on his shoulders. Yeah, yeah he, he does. does. And I think I think that's why he is not necessarily getting a free pass, but getting time, more time because. You can yeah. see so what do you do? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's got to the stage. What do you do? Do you just keep sacking manager? Is that what, is yeah. that what you do? And who, I mean, who, who could yeah. we get if Coleman? Who, who, went anyway? Exactly. I mean, we, as I said earlier, we, we were shocked when Coleman took the job <laughs> at the time. So, say if he were to if he were to get sacked now, and obviously that's going to cost the club money. Yeah. Yeah. Which they won't want to spend if they're going if they're going to do that now. I mean, who seriously? Who are they going to bring? Oh, in? I, going to make I, I don't now? think they should sack him. I'm just no, saying, sort not. of as a, I don't know, playing kind of devil's advocate on the matter the record has been poor with Coleman like I just wonder if that is even in the thinking of the club you know mm. if they are thinking about no, that no they're surely not and there, there is there not. is that argument to suggest as well that has he got the relevant experience for, for League One his record in the championship and well and whether, whether he would stay or not is a, is a valid question well he said he would know. yeah he said he would but well he's also said it depends on things like ownership and stuff like that that's doesn't true. he and so you know that's up in the air Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a question from Tom Atkinson here how bad can this situation get hundreds of millions of debt owed um, a squad incapable of finding a win uh, want away owner seemingly little in the way of potential investment when will this slide halt I think Keith probably knows more you talk about Rangers yeah you know? well mm-hmm. yeah I mean the situation what happened with Rangers was they had um, they had a tech a tax case looming which they called the big tax case which was for a good few hundred million pounds and I think the feeling was that Rangers were, were probably going to lose that and David Murray sold the club to Craig White for one pound essentially handed it over for nothing and Rangers supporters were were absolutely you know delighted with that and they thought, thought we've got a man in here who's going to and then of course he took the club into administrations passed on to someone else who then took it into liquidation there was a uh, you know a catalogue of mistakes here. at least Ellis Short is kind of still there and you know I, you, I think you just need to be careful what you wish for when it comes to a takeover because you just don't know what the mm. thoughts of someone else at least you know what Ellis Short has been around for what 9-10 years and yeah, he has, but they're about he has to played money to drop into League One I know but if you I mean what do you do just hand it on to someone else you just hand it on to, it needs to be some, it needs to be someone you know has who has got who's got the money to come in and, and make some kind of well it does but it can't carry on as it is I mean I think that's the point I mean the, but you, so, it's, George you could probably get I think you could probably get out of League One with without spending too much money yeah but surely. he has to be in, I mean he hasn't spoken to Coleman he hasn't there's no sense that he's engaged or involved mm. um, and you know the track record the track record over the last couple of years shows that he doesn't care I mean he's so there are certain he's, he's, he's putting in financial guarantees I suppose at the moment isn't he but there's no investment there's no investment, and no, I know, I, I know, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean, and there's, you know, there's a similar kind of argument happening, happening, happening up the road. But you have to. There comes a point where 
is a risk, is a gamble better than what's happening now because at the minute I think, the, yeah, club, the club's yeah. dying on its arse at the minute. Yeah, I, th- I think with Sunderland, I think you're right. I think with Sunderland, they probably are a, an example of a gamble needs to be taken. Yeah, because I mean, what, what, yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking, I mean, you're right. Things can always get worse. Yeah, they can. Things they can, can always get worse. That yeah, is, I, that is the, that is, that is the absolute truth. Things can always get worse. And we've seen clubs in our own, in our region drop out of the football league and, mm. you know, in terms of, you know, Darlington and all that kind of stuff being reformed and things. So, you know, things, things can always get worse. And you have to remember that. But, um, you know, it's Sunderland is crying out for somebody to come in that has has an idea or has an has a plan, has a bit of ambition, and with any of those things, there's always a risk. But and I mean, be, yeah. the, 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 I mean, for me, the biggest risk is it stays like this. Yeah, yeah. And the problem is the debt remains. The debt is yeah. going to remain there. I mean, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. I think in a couple of weeks' time, the financial results. Will yeah, be end of April. Yes, I mean, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what difference has been made. But we'll only year. get it up to yeah, no, of course, yeah. It's been a year behind, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. so, but yeah, um, you get a better idea at the yeah. minute. We're working off numbers that are. It goes up to, two it'll, years go up to it'll go up to June next year, won't it? So yeah. it'll be it'll be the relegation season. But in League but. One, in League One, is someone going to come in and say, right, I'll buy the club, I'll take on the debt? When you're in League One, you know, you've not got any kind of. TV I think that's why deal. the the rumours are so rife about administration because if he's saying mm. he's going to get rid of it for free, then. If you cannot sell it, why would he keep funding it? So why would you not just? A lot of the debt is owed to him, isn't it? So that thing about giving it away for for free, I was always a little bit skeptical about that because it's not free. He's getting debt of hundred yeah. million quid, and most yeah. of it's to him. I mean, so with when Newcastle are up for sale for say three hundred million, that includes the debt. So if you went by the same accounting thing, you'd be really saying that Newcastle are for sale for 150 quid plus the debt. I mean, so it's just a kind of a different way of yeah. looking at it. It's not mm. free if it costs you 100 million quid. No, that's true. But um, he'll keep, I mean, apparently he's writing checks of a few hundred thousand pound a month still. Yeah, he's, I mean, you understand he's still, he's still sort of paying off a lot of... <laughs> yeah, he, he, it's just staggering, you, isn't it? You just wonder if he just says, fuck it, what's the point? You know, I, I hope that doesn't happen. I would hate to see the club go to administration, but mm. I suppose that that's what we need to get it back. I suppose as fans, that's certainly how I feel. That's the only thing. Getting rid of him would make me feel like we've. But do you think? Club do back. you think a buyer would come in if we went into administration? Well, I would say so. If you're in, but that, where's that buyer now? You would you would think that somebody would have come in. Well, I think at the well, minute the, it's the, not. The, the the problem is the league position mitigates mm. against that. So. You know, and and again, once January goes past and new owners can't kind of do anything, then the the you know the common reaction is that they wait because if Sunderland, or if, if and when Sunderland do go down, the club loses value again. So you don't sort of buy it now when that's still up in the air. Um, it was kind of similar with Newcastle, isn't it? That's yeah. why that's why there's been such a standoff there because you know every point or every win was crucial as to what league Newcastle going to yeah. play in the next season. And I think that's yeah. why there's if been Newcastle a, go down; they're immediately half yeah. in value. So I mean, it doesn't kind of really make sense for someone to kind of come in at this exact minute. But yeah, that's a hell of a, it's a hell of a debt. It is a hell of a debt to sort of have, and I'm sure it's been paid down paid down a bit now. But it's a hell of a debt to carry into League One, and it kind of does affect the. It does affect the value, obviously. Do you think we're going to still attract players in League One? Are Sunderland going to be an attractive proposition given the calamitous nature of the club at the moment? Yeah, well, it depends. <laughs> what I mean, it will be a big club down there. It no depends doubt. what happens. I mean, if 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 it's as things are now, then you're not going to get the players. You're not going to get the players you want. But if it's a club, if it's a club that is kind of reinvented and is showing some ambition and is giving opportunities to youth, for example. 
you know, there's no reason, you know, there's no reason why not. I mean, I know historically we've 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 sort of heard a lot about players not wanting to come to the northeast, but I think it's actually proved that when the circumstances are right and the club's right and they have a good good manager, an ambitious manager, and they have decent owners, I think players do come. So I've never, you know, if would you want to come to a stadium that's that's sort of empty and disillusioned and unhappy then probably not but if you know I'm, I'm sure you know a lot of Sunderland fans of kind of my vintage remember the season the last time the last time the club dropped down to that level and it was a good season you know it was it ended up being it ended up being yeah. people's favourite one of people's favourite seasons because of what mm-hmm. happened so I don't think you know I also don't it's, think it would be amazing to think I was, I was walking but I was just wandering around the stadium light after the Ipswich match, and I was just like, "Could you imagine this place in League One? Like, honestly, like you would, you'd need to have it. You'd need to have it fairly full because it's it must be a pretty difficult place to play in when it's, you know, when it is empty almost. Switch. And because obviously the noose has been hanging around the neck with the the run and the you know the last couple of years at at um, Stadium Light, you almost you almost think Sunderland might be better playing somewhere else, somewhere else yeah. in League One, and packing somewhere. You know what I mean? And actually like getting a real because it's so hard to the thing is, to get it going. As fans as well, we've grown. We've talked about it a lot, James. Like. I used to think that ground is a happy place. You know, that used yeah, to be. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. been so all my childhood. I never saw Roker Park because I was too young. Mm. All my childhoods there. You know, seeing them seventh, the keen years, even ten years. The, the, the Derby again. wins. Now oh, I, the, the atmosphere that when Jermaine Defoe scored that goal um, against Newcastle that oh, day. The, 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 I mean, oof. honestly, that was other than an old from Derby. I don't think I've ever heard a noise like that. It was unbelievable. I found it was, the, uh, and and. You know, and to think that that was only what two two years ago was it? Yeah. Two, two and a half years ago. And Reed, Reed, you know, Reed's team, the memory of that, you know, the memory of that team there, the young team. You know, that that was a you know that was that was a young team and an exciting team and a vibrant team and all that kind of stuff, playing incredible football, wingers banging in crosses, scoring loads of goals. It was, I mean, it has the potential to be a well, it has the potential to be a, to be a really raucous venue. I suppose mm-hmm. the problem is is that it's like everywhere else in the country. The way we view football and partake in football has, has kind of changed, and stadiums in general are quieter. But there has to be there has to be something that happens that gives people mm. that desire to go there, to be there. Because at the minute you associate it with unpleasant things. We've touched on the stadium as well, and we mentioned the the, the relegation season before, where we ended up in League One. We were at Roker Park then. Yeah, having the stadium of like in League One could be a real real problem financially where Leeds used to play in front of 20,000 when they were in there you know that was a, probably their average used to play in front of less I mean my cousin's a Leeds fan he used to say like sometimes they would say 20 it was probably only 15, 14 then mm. it would be sorry to see something like that you know I remember being it's not. It's only two years ago since they beat Chelsea at home 3-2 yeah. and it was full there's different ways of looking at it because I agree if you know if there were to be you know if the stadium's a third full or whatever it is then it's not going to look it's not going to look great the other way of looking at it the more positive way of looking for it is that Sunderland still have a lot has, still has a lot going for it and the stadium's part of it and the, the, the training ground's another part of it so they've got the inf- infrastructure in place um, you know so that's not something that the ownership would have would kind of have to worry about they would only have to concentrate on finding a way to get the stadium full again. Yeah. So and But if you if you do go down to League One, if you go down to League One and you get off to a decent start, however I'm sure the Sunderland fans will come back. Oh yeah. Because oh, you definitely. want let's be honest, you just want to you just want to win games. You just want to see your team winning games. Whoever it is you're playing against, you know, and you've not had that for so long. If, if there's twenty eight thousand there now, you know, 
<laughs> they're not winning. Then yeah. I'm sure twenty eight thousand will be there if, when they I win mean, the league. Below. Clubs like clubs like Bradford have been very very full progressive in terms of their ticket pricing and things like that, and they've mm. taken the decision that, I mean. Whether you know financially what what it would mean to Sunderland is a sort of different question, but they've taken the decision that it's not the money that the tickets ticket sales bring in that's the, that's the relevant thing. It's about having a full stadium. So, you know, if you half ticket prices and end up with a full stadium, that is better mm. economically in the long run for the club. And it's about you need, need someone with that kind of with kind of wit and ambition to make make the team exciting. Mm. And make the same. The, the ticket prices have just been reduced. Um, they announced that the other day. I think they've gone down three ten. Yeah, three ten is the lowest. I think. I think it works out something like thirteen quid a game. It's not bad, so but considering bad. it's a sixty pound cheaper when they're in the Premier League, that's this is very true. Is that, what is that for next season? Yeah. yeah, I mean tickets have been loaded, and I think. I mean, Sunderland rightly get a lot of bad press for the way the club. Oh, run. I know, and I'm not. I'm not having a go at them for the no, ticket no, prices. That, but, but yeah, but I'm. I'm saying, you know. I can't remember. Was it? Was it? Was it even Huddersfield that are doing hundred mm. quid season tickets yeah. in the Premier League this season? You know, and I know being in the Premier League is very different. Yeah. So, but but taking a so I mean when 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 bad things happen to clubs, when it was Man- Manchester City when they went when they went down and stuff like that, it becomes a point of honour for fans sometimes to siege to see it and a siege yeah, yeah, mentality. Yeah. But there has to be. You know, it can't be. It can't be with this atmosphere because that no. won't be the case. You know, it has. Mm-hmm. It needs. It needs somebody to come in. It needs the team to be giving a damn, exciting, preferably with young players coming through. But it 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 needs leadership at the top. I think there's the, none of that at the moment. There's also the you know the stadium being fifty well forty nine thousand is a problem. But on the flip side, that means you can charge far less to get more people in to make up that, oh, exactly, that yeah. difference in money exactly. it would rather have 15,000 there but be charging you know the prices they are you know reduce yeah, it I mean again it depends that all depends again on atmosphere and leadership because at the minute you could give tickets away and mm. people wouldn't go yeah, because do. No, <laughs> yeah because there's no reason for people to come at the minute so I well we're, uh, we're drawing close to the end so I thought we'd um would try and lift the mood a bit because it's, it's thoroughly <laughs> depressing to talk about something really um, just any any final anecdotes you've, you've both been in the industry for final <sighs> anecdotes <laughs> the funniest things funny stories that's a bit vague well, George you've been around a bit longer than me um, <laughs> no pressure that's a bit of a vague question you're not narrow that down slightly well is there anything in particular a player's done which has been particularly stupid or funny or Christ almighty that's a long list um, <laughs> I was once Pinned against the wall at Roker Park by Peter Reid. That was okay. quite funny. Yeah, um, that was. Don't get me wrong. That was not funny. That was absolutely terrifying. <laughs> that was sort of a different, uh, a different era. I was very new at the at the Sunday Sun, the local local Sunday paper, and um, I'd written something about a pre-season match, and he was very. It was all it was was a bad joke at the start of a match report but um, and he was a very very angry man, angry man at the time <laughs> but I remember walking into this box at Roker Park to do a to do a pre, our pre-season supplement hi Peter George from the Sunday Sun the Sunday Sun the Sunday fucking Sun yeah. you fucking c-. anyway and <laughs> he, I kind of gradually reversed to the and was was sort of pinned back against the wall and sort of left um, feeling very shaken and very tearful and um, thought what do I do here this is you know this is awful anyway I rang him back I rang immediately um, and he agreed 
he agreed to see us the next day and sort of said, oh, don't worry, mate, don't worry, you know, we're best mates, we're best mates. But if you ever, ever <laughs> do anything like that ever again, I will fuck you up. <laughs> By the end, I, I was I was friendly with Peter and I love, loved him, uh, loved him dearly. But a bit of passion like that around the place would not would not go amiss. Mm. Keith, yourself? Oh, yeah. Um, try to think. I, I actually have had a, a similar incident with that uh, like that, but I'm not able to tell you at all. <laughs> uh, it wasn't with Peter. Still Reed. the subject of legal action. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me think um, I mean listen I, I used to work for what's the worst thing you've said on it what's the biggest error you've done on air how about that okay um, I yeah oh well God. error well I'll tell you what the, the thing that gave me the biggest fright and it, it just felt like an, an outer body experience was um, Rangers were playing against Manchester United in a Champions League match and we had a live with uh, Sir Alex Ferguson and I was very new young just started out and um I just had a complete brain freeze, like completely just forgot what I was saying. I was doing a live. And what I used to do is I used to try and do a live and I would try and write it, almost write it down in my head and word for word and try and think exactly what I was going to say. And um, I got to a certain word and forgot what I was going to say and I just completely lost and I was there and I've got Sir Alex Ferguson standing there beside me and you can imagine. And it felt, it honestly just felt like 10 minutes. I mean, it was probably only like, five seconds but it just felt and I, I was just so panicked ever since that day I've never done that now just if I'm doing a live or whatever I just make a couple of bullet points and just try and take it from there I was just like of all times it couldn't have been when you're doing a chat with like you know a league two manager or a player <laughs> right. from an amateur team or something it had was to he be okay? he was alright I think he realised that I was I mean I was I think I was actually properly properly shaking um <laughs> And it was just the only way I can explain it. I was speaking to one of my fellow uh, reporters actually recently because I was down doing the transfer centre down in London, so I was on on set in the studio. And when you're not used to being down there in Sky Sports News, it can be quite sort of a, a galling experience. All the cameras around. And he said to me, he goes, how did you? And I did my first one. Goes, how did you do that? How did you? And I'm not used to really using auto cue that much either. And I was like, I don't know. I just, I just kind of got through. He goes, I've just, I, I did a live the other day, and I had, I had one of those out of body experiences. I know, I know all about them. I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. Um, but thankfully, I got through the the, the stuff uh, in the studio there, and it was okay. But yeah, I mean, that does happen. Your your heart skips a beat, and you think, and you actually think it's a lot worse. And then you what you kind of watch it back, and you're like, oh, it didn't actually seem that bad. No, I don't know if yeah, yeah. yeah but I probably it. shaved five years off my life. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> They got the grey in the beard. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Any questions, Colin? Yeah, the Bobby Robson Fund. Um, oh, you're yes. still you're still heavily involved in. That's uh, Bobby Robson Foundation. Yes, thank you very much for mentioning that. Yeah, no, I'm a patron of that, and that's one of the proudest. Well, probably the proudest association. Well, until you came like. on this podcast, obviously. Yeah, obviously. obviously. <laughs> until, yeah, well, this is the this is the uh, absolute pinnacle. Um, very highly thought of Bobby Robson by Sunderland fans. Well, yeah, yeah, and he loved high. right until the end. He loved coming. He loved coming. Why uh, do you Sunderland. think he, he loved Sunderland so? I mean, there's rumours that he was a Sunderland lad as a kid. Well, he's from Durham. I mean, yeah. so he had that. He had. Mm. So he looked. I mean, did he not go to both? Did he not like go yeah. to? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, he was a Newcastle fan. His, his dad was a Newcastle fan. He went. He went to St James's with his brother and his dad and and things like that. So that was the. But it was that era when when people would kind of go to both and yeah. throughout his life he went to both and certainly towards the end he felt he got such a lovely welcome at Sunderland he was always his, yeah. his book was excellent. Excellent. he loved it and and as a as a you know he, he was he it was kind of Langley Park pit he went to and stuff like that it was Langley Park he went to school he looked down to Durham first instead of looking to Newcastle as a as a play so he has a very very strong wearside connection but then it's also partly to do with his personality I think and I mean, I'm always very, very moved by people who can straddle the divide 
mm. and still get sort of respect. I think Marquin is a bit is a kind of similar to that. That but until he's on commentary on Sky doing a maybe Derby maybe game, until, <laughs> maybe until then. But but yeah. I think you know, and, and I think Bobby had that. I think Bobby sort of had that respect wherever he went, and that was it was partly to do with his his personality. There was no there was nowhere for kind of hate to kind of grow inside him. He just never had that. That was just never part of his personality. And when he set up the foundation. He would go to the stadium of light, and he would end up with five pound notes sticking out of his pocket. <laughs> give him, people would give him money. And Elsie, Lady Elsie, is is with us. Is still a regular at the at the stadium. She gets a great welcome, and she loves 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 being there. And it's, I mean, that's, that is the whole point of the foundation, I suppose. It's he he wrote in his last book, um, you know, that can- cancer takes no count of colour, black and white, red and white, we're all the same. And mm. um, over over ten years. More than twelve million quid's been raised that is being used for world class world class um you know, research here in the northeast, but also treating people and also, you know, so it's going from incredibly advanced machinery to 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 staffing nursing positions that are help trying to help put smiles on, on people's faces. So it's a great I think I think that legacy is arguably is arguably his biggest legacy of all. Good stuff. Good stuff. I've got I've got one final goal. Actually, two final things. Two final things. Yeah. Number one, what is the funniest but most offensive thing someone said to you on Twitter? <laughs> oh god, you must get them daily. And oh. we'll preface this. We had one the other week where somebody oh, I said, "Got that one in my phone." Luke. <laughs> somebody <laughs> said to us that we hadn't seen tits. Yeah. No, we'd only seen tits and porn. Yeah, suggesting right. that we were virgins, even though we both got girlfriends. Mm. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it must be a nightmare the whole Twitter thing because I mean me and Connor aren't exactly Twitter famous or anything but we get you know we get responses and most of them are nice and engaging you have conversations and then you just get the odd one where it's just like oh you're a, you're a cunt you know what I don't mind I actually don't mind if someone's just being abusive it doesn't bother me at all it's mm. when they question your um, sources or whatnot. no no not even that but just impartiality yeah yeah and they you know yeah. they almost you know, asking you know, you're 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 you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, 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 apparently oh. you, two, you two are both mags. Do I sound like a Newcastle fan? <laughs> no. well, I thought I you were a hipster. Well, like, yeah. I'll be honest. I grew up a Newcastle fan, but I, th- I, I mean, and it's it's something that I mean, it sort of drives us mad. It dri- drove us mad at the start. It doesn't drive us mad anymore. But I mean, I've been doing this job for 25 years of my life, and I take it really seriously. And over the course of that time, um, you know, I've 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 made lifelong friends at Sunderland and I and what it's done is widen my support so I mean if people say you're biased I will say yeah I am I'm biased about all northeast football clubs because professionally I want them to do well but personally yeah. I want them to do well and um, but you said before to us off camera that you were TFL when they came camera. out the top. Oh no, no, off camera. <laughs> off camera. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, no. And, and you, well, you make you make relationships and you build relationships. I was, you know, I'm delighted when Newcastle win. I'm delighted when Sunderland win. Um, I was emotional about Newcastle getting back into the Premier League. So I know what that means for the city, and I know what it means for the club, and I know what it means for friends of mine. But the same thing applies to Sunderland and yeah the most emotional I felt at a game sort of in recent in recent years was the League Cup final because it was that beautiful reminder that really that's what football's about not winning things necessarily but everyone getting together you go through all the shit you go through the years of crap and nothing happening and seeing a lot of rubbish football and then suddenly you have this set piece occasion that reminds you really what it's all about and why 
your dad or your mum got you involved in the first place and why you put up with it and you know you had that beautiful celebration and a kind of raucous night out in Covent Garden and I was in tears when Sunderland came out onto the pitch you know and I've I've seen North East I've seen one trophy in in the 25 years I've been covering, covering North East football and it's those occasions like Wembley will will stay with us forever because it doesn't happen very often. We we want to be reporting on teams doing well. We want to be reporting on successes. Of course, that's what gets you into into this, you know. And it actually it hurts when people think that you're happy to see a certain team lose or a demise of a team. Of course not. The other thing is our jobs are probably on you know at the end of it as well. We need the team the teams to be yeah, success. Yeah, yeah. So we we, we yeah. want that, you know. And. It's uh, it's it's depressing for us as much as as the supporters when any of the teams that you cover on that patch. One of my my colleagues who covers the Midlands had Leicester two years ago, and he mm. said he just had the most amazing oh, season. And he's not. Yeah. I, I don't know who he supports. It doesn't really matter because to be honest, when you get to a certain level, when you're reporters, you don't really support anyone anyway. You just you're just you look at things impartially. So he had he had the most amazing year. You know, reporting on them every week. He was doing feature stories and colour shoots every single week. And yeah. it's a shame that when you're reporting, I'd say if Sunderland aren't doing too well or Newcastle aren't, the team, the clubs kind of close their doors a little bit. Yeah. It's difficult to get access. Whereas if a team's doing well like Leicester that, that season, their doors are wide open. Just come yeah. and get what you want. And he just had the most amazing experience. And it's improved him as a as, as a reporter. As I a mean, it, in terms of the Twitter insults, I can't remember. I mean, there is it's mainly just swearing, but it, <laughs> it, it does, and some of it's quite inventive, and it, it does either make you laugh or stay or stay with you sometimes, which is kind of you know, it's always, it's annoying that it's the insult that stays with you yeah, as yeah, opposed yeah. to the nice stuff. I remember not too long ago, not too long after I joined the Times. I suffered from proper writer's block. I went to a match at Leeds. I didn't watch Leeds very often. I just could not think. So this was a Monday match report. So I saw the game on the Saturday. I had to come home, write it up on the Sunday for the Monday's paper, and I couldn't think of anything. And on the Saturday night, got home. There was just nothing in my head. Anyway, I woke up in the middle of the night. Something had come to us, and I wrote it down. Anyway, it went in the paper, and it was it was horrible. It was, <laughs> it was about trying to capture this moment in time of this young Leeds team and the first sentence was something like the camera clicks the action stops right it was about trying to capture this moment in time it was it, was, it didn't get any better than that. <laughs> it was horrible anyway Football 365 they do their like media watch mm-hmm. section and um you know, and you're always clicking on it hoping that one of your mates has been slagged off whatever. anyway I clicked on it that <laughs> Monday and there was a bit about this whole match report and it dissected every line in this match report. <laughs> but the headline, which I'll never forget, and I've printed it off and it's still above my desk now as a reminder, sixth form essay winner found at times. <laughs> which, which, was, which I loved and it was absolutely right. Well, I'll say I loved it. was really humiliating. humiliating. 20 years on though. Does that drive, years you, drive you on though? Still drives me on. It doesn't stop us from occasionally writing stuff that... Um, would be worthy of a sixth form <laughs> well one of the things that got probably the biggest traffic for me on Twitter once and not by design was um, it was the night before deadline day and a uh, Newcastle fan um, message saying where, where are you going to be tomorrow Newcastle or Sunderland and I said oh we only send a designated reporter to Premier League club oh. and obviously Newcastle in the championship yeah. so of course the following season I then just did it the other way around so to make sure I was like <laughs> <laughs> but I was just looking through a few of those that I sent to my mate and this is one that um I, I don't want to read it out myself but there's, oh, okay. there's just one of an example of um, <laughs> my name's Keith K-E-E-F 
and I shag my Sky microphone. My job is to report people arriving at their fucking place of work and hassle them. <laughs> that's, just, that's just an example of many. I mean, I could, we could flick through. I've got quite a lot of them saved in the group chat. But, um, that's probably the least offensive one of all. <laughs> my job is to report people arriving. You do do that. Though. Places of work is actually sort of true. Yeah, I know. I know. That's I, 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 I <laughs> so, so why I liked it, yeah. There was a one the other week where Mares had turned up the training and Sky was all over. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And like, he came to work. Man, <laughs> man turns up <laughs> for a job. Man turns up for a job. And, uh, everyone's but like, it, not too much of football up. stands up to scrutiny. I mean, it's like, you know, lads kicking a ball of air around. I mean, Christ, and us getting very serious about it. But Yeah, we, we do get very serious about it, don't we? Oh, no, I get hammered. I don't know if your wife's or partner's a. How are you? But my girlfriend just didn't understand. She's like, you dedicate your life to this. Mm. I'm like, wait, well, I it's class. My, <laughs> mine regularly asks me if I'm still trying to be Twitter famous and I said, that's not what I'm trying Have to do. Have you seen their tits yet? Just I mean, just to, <laughs> to get to the end of story, uh, Yeah, many times. Okay, good. <laughs> we can, we can well, a bit defensive, that, but yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. We, we can confirm tits have been seen. Right. <laughs> For all those concerned Twitter users. Do you know what? There's one final thing is, have you ever spoke to Ellis Short? Mm. Yes. What's he like? Um, like everyone so wants to see is a massive knock. <laughs> in fact, he, I wrote something about the League Cup final, and he sent me an email because um, uh, he liked it, um, and um, he did. In fact, it might have been around then that, yeah, there was a. I think there was a. There was a drinks before the the night before the Wembley game that he'd he'd arranged but and I went to it but I I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be at Common Garden so I didn't stay very long but I said hello. He used to come in the press room at at Sunderland when he was around and engaged and he would often go and speak to you know the local radio reporters in particular kind of but there was a couple of times that he would stop and he'd obviously been told who a certain reporter was and he just oh, just to let you know that was a lot of shit or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. He, did, he did a bit of that. So yes I met him in those I met him in those environments, but um, you know, it's not really enough to it's not really enough to make judgments on him in that sense. But as I said earlier, I'd, I mean, I've kept in touch with several people who've worked for him, and the references are not are not glowing about him as a human being. Keith, do you have much um, once or twice, like George, just again fleeting. I've not certainly not sat down and had a cup, cup of coffee tea. or anything <laughs> like that with him, no. Um, I had um, a chat after what game was it now I think it was just after the escape with Allardyce with um, one of his right head men Per, per uh, Magnus who was up for a few days mm-hmm. um, I've never I haven't spoken to Ellis Shot for any length of time I mean certainly in the last couple of years he's been almost absent I think he was there was it the first game of the season he was there against Derby yeah, came to yeah, watch that was shocked I have seen him I have seen him a couple of times in the press room and mingling around and speaking a couple of people but not for a long time not mm-hmm. for a long time I've ever, ever seen him do that um, but yeah I mean I think it's the way it is with clubs these days I mean it's very rare do, does anyone have too many dealings with the owner of clubs I mean the fact that well, the fact that Chris Coleman hasn't spoken to him I think says, says it all yeah, oh, yeah, incredible big, yeah. incredible really. and, and that statement that he released that he released sort of about then well no it was, sorry it was that was when uh, Grayson left wasn't it well it the video sort of, and the and video it, that wasn't conducted was by horrendous John. it was all in house yeah and it was it was all that thing about yes I know things are tough but we all have you know we all have to get behind the team and you know mm-hmm. yes I'm hearing you and all that kind of stuff but again that was another sort of demand to sort of defer defer judgment and really it's Ellis when well when when is it okay with you 
that we do judge you. I mean, at what point <laughs> is it all right for us to say it's been this shit? Is, this has been shit. Yeah. And anyway, that seems to be happening. So, mm. so. anything else to add, Connor? While you're uh, uh, no, not really. You can follow us on Twitter. Though I can add, he's his two famous followers. Connor Bromley trying to trying to get the Twitter followers. You can know, do a follow Friday. <laughs> that used to be a thing. Yeah, it used to be. Yeah, 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 used to be. Right. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, well. We really appreciate it. Um, just before we go, a couple of um, housekeeping announcements. As we mentioned earlier, the Red and White Army are holding a meeting tomorrow night at the Peacock at seven. If you want to try and make a difference to your club, then this is important. Um, they'll be discussing the direction they want to move in. So seize the opportunity and get involved. Uh, once again, thanks to Connor for coming in. Producer Chris, cheers. Just yeah. hanging around in the background. <laughs> Keith and George, thank you again. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Um, we're on YouTube as well. You can also find the podcast on Acast. And check out our content across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and the rubberreport.com. I've been James Copley. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.